Good morning. It's a privilege to be with you. So thankful to be able to open God's word with you today. So two weeks ago was Valentine's Day. Now you need to know that both my wife and I think that Valentine's Day is a scam. And we make it a habit to not go out on Valentine's evening just because it just seems futile. Um, but the love that I have for my wife is real. Actually, I surprised her this year. I actually got her something for Valentine's Day. I, um, I got her a um, ceramic teapot, uh, like an electric ceramic teapot. It's really pretty. It's really nice. She, she likes it a lot. And if you don't think that that's special, you don't know my wife. That's about as close to her um, heart love language as you can possibly get. So she's pretty excited about that. But let me tell you something. I love my wife. I really do. She has tramped all over the world with me. She's raised four children with me. She's rejoiced with me and celebrated with me, and she's suffered with me. And I publicly am happy to say the depth of my love for my wife is, uh, is a lot. I love her tons. I really love my wife. But that pales in comparison with the love of God in Jesus Christ. There is nothing as great as the love of God in Jesus Christ. And my prayer today is that somehow God is going to open up your heart to receive that love today in a way that you never have before. I'm going to show you a video, if I can get through it without choking up. This is a video, actually, of my parents. This was made by a, um, just a news uh, a newscast in Central Oregon. That's the Bend, uh, Redding area. A number of years ago, before my mom passed away, and um, when I think about the love of God, I think about the uh, the covenantal faithfulness of my father to my mother. And let me tell you, just before I show this to you, that I know my mom well. I knew her well. And she, um, she would be very happy for me to be showing this video. And my dad has given express permission to show this video. This is actually a Valentine's video that was done. And you're going to see them there. But this will remind us about how God's love is even greater than this. Go ahead and show it. Now, from Central Oregon's news leader, this is News Channel 21 at 6. If you're a Valentine's Day hater, a local couple story might just get you in the spirit for tomorrow. Drew and Marilyn Birding have been together for five decades. Yeah, but for three of them, Marilyn has had Alzheimer's. The disease destroyed her memory, but not their love. Mackenzie Wilson shows us. She doesn't know who he is. Oh, I love to hug you. Early onset Alzheimer's attacked Marilyn Birding's memory when she was just 39 years old. Her husband, Drew, has been at her side for 52 years. When I saw her, I thought she was the most beautiful thing there ever was. And I even proposed to her on her 18th birthday. That proposal was turned down. Marilyn promised her father she'd graduate college before becoming anybody's wife. Four years later and just 24 hours after she had a diploma in her hand, she was his. I just love her so much. In fact, I think I'm more in love now than I've ever been in my whole life. Every day, Drew makes the drive from Sisters to Redmond to visit his wife at Cougar Springs Assisted Living. I love it when you talk to me. 
What some would call a family obligation, he calls a privilege. Unfortunately, a lot of people abandon their loved ones. They'll bring them to a facility like this, and that's the last you ever see them. Not the case with these two lovebirds and their third wheel, Molly. You like that bird? Yeah, it sure likes you. Drew calls himself a one-woman man. Alzheimer's or not, he can't imagine being with anybody else. Every now and then I catch a glimpse of the same Marilyn. Which is what keeps him coming back, even when others tell him he's wasting his time. Yeah, you're my sweetheart, Marilyn. You're my sweetheart. Makes you appreciate Valentine's. It really does. Makes you appreciate the ones you love, for Mm -hmm. sure. Well, Dee announced some good news for... Isn't that great? But think about that love. Think about that kind of love and realize that God's love for us is vaster than that. It's vaster than the ocean. It's deeper. It just goes on. And it was shown specifically in Jesus Christ. By the way, I don't know if you've noticed that in our church we have some new babies around. There's quite a few young mothers. And, um, and I can tell you what those young mothers are doing in the middle of the night right now. They are getting up multiple times in the night, and they're spending time just feeding, caring, taking care of these new helpless babies um, out of love for them. But, you know, God's love is so much greater than that love. I'm just looking for things to compare God's love to, but God's love so surpasses that. And if there's any way for you just to be drawn into the love of God for you today, that's what I would love for you to experience, to know. So open up your Bibles to John, Gospel of John, John chapter 3, yes, verse 16. And this is a continuation of um, the John series that we've already started in the church here. This, part, this passage starts with one of the best known and most quoted verses in the entire Bible. I'm going to read the whole paragraph to you. It's not as long of a passage as we normally take, so it's just a, just a paragraph here following on the heels of the um, dialogue with Nicodemus. So John 3, 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed." But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may clearly be seen that his works have been carried out in God. We're going to focus a little bit more on verses 16 and 17 today, but we'll have some call-outs to the later verses because they're relevant to one of the discussions that we're going to go into today. Now, the first thing to notice about this passage is that the verses start uh, with God, for God so loved the world. They don't start with us. They don't start with you. They don't start with me. They start with God. In the beginning of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, 1, it's God. John chapter 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When we come to John three sixteen, it is God. Two weeks ago, Robert said in his message on John 2, God is more zealous about connecting with you than you are with him. That's exactly right. 
God is passionate about that relationship with you. He's already made a connection through Jesus Christ. He's provided a way for you. That is the, that is the thing that he has done passionately for you. This is the story of the Old Testament. God tells the children of Israel who he has chosen to be a special people for him. Why did I choose you? God says to them a number of times, he says things like, well, not because you are great or you're strong or you're special in any way. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy 7. One example, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you. So my daughter, Lydia, and Josh, um, her husband, moved to San Antonio, Texas this last summer with the goal of Josh changing his, um, his career to become a, a high school math teacher and so that they could become foster and adopt parents. Well, this week, it happened. They had three children, beautiful little boys, ages six, five, and three. On th- Thursday, a sibling set move into their home And they are now coping with trying to put them to bed at night and feed them and keep them from running around and from touching the hot stove and all of those types of things. Uh, First-time parents, and for us, first-time grandparents. Ooh, yeah, that's right. You know, it's amazing, even at this distance, how much love you can have for kids that you've never met. They're 1,500 miles away, too, and, and if you want to see some of that in display, just talk to Trudy. She's right over here. She has pictures. But, um, but you know what's really interesting? The reason I mention this to you is because um, as of Thursday, uh, these boys didn't even know that Josh and Lydia existed. They were, they were in a shelter with 70 other people. And um, so here they've, come into this, here they've come into this home. Josh and Lydia hadn't even seen pictures of them. They didn't know anything about them except that there were these boys and they receive them into their home, and now they are loving them. That's sacrificial love. You, you know that, right? And, um, and yet God's love is so much greater than that. He placed his love upon us. This is, the whole, this is one of the great themes of the Bible, not because of anything that we've done, but because of, because of God, because of something about God, something about the heart of God and wanting to draw us into a deeper relationship with himself, something about God making a way for us to go deeper into receiving the love that he's given for us. Nor is it that God loved us when we were lovable. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is just graphically illustrated in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. You've got this this illustration, this analogy of it's as though God has gone and he has married his people who he knows have a tendency towards sexual immorality. He marries them anyway. Marries them. Brings children into the world through them. This is all an analogy that is running in the book of Hosea. And then they commit sexual immorality. They are unfaithful in the marriage. And... Um, And they go off and they go so deep down into this, and the sexual immorality is a picture of idolatry, but they go so deep into this that they actually end up in some sort of slavery. And they're actually being sold as slaves. What kind of slavery is not exactly clear there. And God, in this picture, as the analogy goes, he goes and he purchases them 
pays the price for his own bride to buy them back to woo them yet once again out of his great love for them. Crazy, right? And this is not just the book of Hosea. It shows up um, in one verse in Isaiah and a couple times in Ezekiel, the same sort of picture of God just pursuing relentlessly his people because of his love for them. I want you to receive this love and know this love today. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether you, whether you have known Christ for years or whether this is the first time you've ever been in church, if God can just open up your hearts just to receive in a deeper way the love of God through Jesus Christ today for you. Now, this is going to get explained even more further as the book of John goes on, but John 3.16 says, God, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? Let me explain that just a little bit. The word so that you see there, we usually read that as for God so loved the world, like he loved the world so much, but that's not what the so means there. This is the Greek word hutos. It means something more like thusly or in this way. So God loved the world in this way that he gave his only son. How do you know that God loved the world? He gave his own precious son. And that is explained more as you go further into the book. John chapter 15 says, Jesus says about himself and his upcoming death, greater love has no one than this, that someone gives his life for his friends. In other words, God, in other words, God loved the world in this way that he gave Jesus Christ for the purpose of dying in our place, for the purpose of dying the death that we should have died. But Jesus loved us so much more than any analogy I can possibly give, but I'm still going to try a couple. When I was living in New York, um, we lived in a suburb of New York City, kind of like what Whittier is to Los Angeles, about that distance. And in our, so when the, the World Trade Towers were attacked, we were living in New York. And just on the street, just over from us, as literally a stone's throw from us, there was a, there was a firefighter who ran into the towers and gave his life trying to save the people in those towers. And um, there were others in our neighborhood as well, but that was the one that just was closest to home for us. And Jesus' love is so supremely higher than that. He was running in to do his duty to love people that he didn't actually know. But Jesus, knowing everything about us, God knowing everything about us, sends his son Jesus, Jesus knowing what he was doing purposely, he gave himself on our behalf. Did you know that the, um, the most common reason that people receive uh, America's Highest military honor, the Medal of Honor, is, is by throwing themselves on top of a grenade. That is the most common reason that someone receives this. And in almost every case, there are very few exceptions in military history, they died in the attempt. And they do this, of course, to absorb that, you could say, the wrath of that grenade upon themselves so that the others do not receive it, so that they don't actually get killed by that. That's what Jesus did. He took all of the judgment that we deserved. Come on, let's be honest. We deserved it. We are all sinners. That's why God in his love shows his love so greatly and that he gave Jesus Christ for us. Jesus took this for us. Jesus' sacrifice, his sacrificial love is compared to that kind of love. And yet it's so much greater. These analogies are weak. They're, they're just not enough. But we have to try something 
because we, we struggle to receive the love of God so much. God loved the world in this way that he gave his only son. May you receive that love today in a greater way than you ever have before. Revel in it, sit in it, think about it. But I want to address the, um, uh, some of the reasons why we struggle to receive the love that God has for us, to really like live into that love, to know that we are loved, to walk in that love, to be, to be um, participants in the love that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. I can, think of, I can think of a number of reasons for this, but I want to address four reasons why we sometimes have just trouble receiving this. And by the way, this is, this is John 3.16. We're so used to thinking about this as, as verses only for people who haven't yet come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. This message is not just for them. This message about God's love that we need to receive and live into it is for every single one of us in this room, wherever you are on that journey. So let me just address a number of things, and this is see if you locate with any of these. I'm going to take up a couple hard ones with you, but these are reasons why people sometimes struggle to receive the love of God that God has for them. So let's start with one of the hard ones, okay? Some people will really never come to just live into the love that God has for them because they're unhappy at the idea that God would send people to hell. That is, there is a heaven, there is a hell. When you die, you go to heaven or to hell. Some people struggle so much with the idea of hell, they cannot understand how God could ever describe himself as loving and let people live in eternity away from him in a place in the Bible that is called hell and some other things that's called in the Bible. Let me just briefly unpack this to make sure that we're all on the same page here because I know that we're in different places in this room just about our Christian background. The Bible is clear that after we die, we stand before God. He will open the book of life. Anyone whose name is not written in it will be cast, it says, in the book of Revelation, to use the language of Revelation, into the lake of fire. The others, those whose names are written in it, will go to the new Jerusalem, or the new heavens and the new earth, as it's described in the book of Revelation. Jesus has the same concept in mind, but he uses a parable for this. He says, at the end of the age, there will be sheep on one side and goats on the other side, and the sheep represent those who know him, Um, You think about the sheep who follow the shepherd. It shows up in the way that they respond to him. And the goats are those who just wander off on their own and do their own thing over here. And um, they never have any concern for the things um, that Jesus is concerned about. And he says right at the end of that parable, these will go into, um, into everlasting punishment. That's the goats and these into everlasting life. I've lost track of which side we're on. Sheep and goats here, but you know, this is a serious topic. So. Um, and, um, and so he's talking about the same thing there. It's very clear, and there are other references I could just take you to. That is what's going to happen. We can, we, can, we can try to deny it because we don't like the idea, but you realize that reality is not constructed by something that you want to be real or not real. It is real. It is real, real really real reality or true truth, this is the way things are. 
But some people actually struggle to receive the love of God. That is in a practical way because just this idea that God would allow people to be in hell away from him for eternity, just they struggle really a lot with it. And let me just, let me just um, a- acknowledge that this is a real struggle for some people. But before I go any further, look at the passage. Okay, verses 17 to 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. God did not send Jesus to condemn the world. His purpose was never, ever, ever to send people to hell. His purpose was to save people. And he's given a wide open door to that in Jesus Christ. He's made a way forward to that. And so the struggle that we have is like a hypothetical struggle because, in fact, God has opened up the door. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, God does not want anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But here's the rub, Okay. Sometimes we think of God as like God can do anything that he wants. If he doesn't want to send people to hell, he doesn't have to send people to hell. He can just actually, you know, just bring them all to heaven. But the problem is, is you're starting to think, if you think that way, you're starting to think about God more the way that sort of the Islamic faith thinks about God rather than the way that the Bible describes God. So the Islamic view of God is more like God can do anything he wants, absolutely anything he wants, and if he wants to forgive someone, he can forgive them. And if he wants to not forgive them, he doesn't have to forgive them. And he can do some things that we would even describe in the Bible as being things, things that the Bible describes as being sinful. But the Bible says about God that God is all-powerful. He can do absolutely anything he wants within the constraints of his own holy and righteous character. That is that God will never do anything He will never do anything to deny his righteous character. He is holy and will always be holy. God will never be anything that is not holy. So when he creates heaven, he's creating a holy, pure, perfect place, sinless place. And he will not allow a person who says on their own, well, I want to do things my own way. Uh, He won't allow them just to tramps into heaven and to destroy this perfect paradise that he is creating for those who love them, this wonderful new heavens and new earth with wonderful food and people you're going to see from the past and the presence of Christ and the glory of God day in and day out. This is going to be incredible. It is a holy place. God will not allow people simply to go there. But someone might say, but not everybody has the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Let me walk you through that one for just a minute, all right? Because it's, it's common for people to say this. What about those? What about somebody who grew up in a place who's never heard anything about Jesus? Here's what the Bible says about this. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. It says that day to day, it pours forth speech like, I'm here, look my direction, I've created huge, beautiful, amazing things. Our pastor talks about these all the time. The incredible, the cosmos that God has created. And God is shouting and saying, I'm here, look my direction. Paul unpacks this more 
in Romans chapter 1 and says, since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, its divine power and nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, that is the creation, so that they're without excuse. In other words, if someone wants to say, well, I just didn't know um, Paul and um, David as the psalmist there, God communicating in his holy scripture would say, I, 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 I was shouting at you, I'm, I'm here. You just need to see, but the problem is, is that we suppress that. That's what Romans 1 said. Romans chapter 2 explains that God has put conscience in each one of us. That is, everybody has some sense that some things are right and some are wrong. Even if they philosophically deny it, they live like that's the case. And even people who have completely different kind of um, uh, moral compass than you do, they still say, well, that's, that's just wrong, you know? They draw the line somewhere. Where did that come from? That's supposed to point toward God. Acts chapter 13 says that God showers his common grace upon everybody. Have you ever wondered why it is that God allows the rain to fall on the crops of people who believe in him and love him and on on people who reject him and people who do not love him? It's because God is showering his grace so that you will look in his direction. Excuse me. Sorry, Mike. And... um, And then Acts chapter 17 says explicitly, God is not far from you. If you would grope for for him, you will find him. But you cannot be saved by general revelation. You cannot be saved just by looking at nature. You actually need the gospel to actually come into salvation. But if somebody is truly searching God will make a way for them. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make one little jump here, and I'm going to say that the Bible does not explicitly tell us the next step, how it happens, but in the book of Acts, it actually shows us examples of people who are searching, kind of like on the edge, and then what happens next. So what happens next? There's an Ethiopian man. He's traveled up from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. He's come into the temple the court of the Gentiles. Uh, Robert was preaching about this two weeks ago, taken over by Caiaphas and, and his, his folks, and they've turned it into a, a, you know, a, a market, an outdoor market with bleeding of sheep and goats. And, you know, it's just, it's just not what it's supposed to be. It's the court of the Gentiles, a place where Gentiles can come and actually worship God. And he couldn't do that there probably. So he's turned around. He's heading back to Ethiopia without his questions answered. He's gotten himself a scroll. He's reading in the scroll. And how are you going to reach him? So you know what God does? He grabs Philip. Philip's a good guy, right? He's got four daughters. I know he's a good guy, all right? It says so in the Bible, all right? He picks him up. He drops him right into the middle of the Gaza desert. There's nothing out there. Drops him right there, and he starts running up next to this Ethiopian man. He's like, hey, you're reading a scroll. Yep. What are you reading? Isaiah 53. Cha-ching. <laughs> it's like, all right. He just shares Jesus to him from um, Isaiah 53. So what just happened there? Here's a person who's on the edge. God makes a way for him to come in contact with the gospel. You've got, um, you've got a man, Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion. He is a God-fearer, it says. He needs the gospel. What happens? An angel appears to him in a, in a vision. 
another vision is given over to Peter over here. That whole creates this huge scenario that brings them together. And Peter shares the gospel with him, even though he's a Gentile. And as a Jew, he would never have gone into the Gentile's house to share a meal with him. Anyway, God makes a way there. Do you see what the connection is there? God makes a way. Uh, one more example. Paul's on his what missionary journey is second missionary journey. He's heading up through Asia Minor and he has this dream. And there's a man from Macedonia saying, come up here because he hasn't been able to stop in any place. The spirit of Jesus hasn't let him so far. So he goes up to Macedonia and there he meets up with Lydia, who is a person who God has opened up her heart to receive the gospel as well. So the Bible doesn't say this explicitly, but it implies it suggests that the, the answer to the question is that if someone is truly seeking for God, God will make a way for them actually to come to faith in him because of knowledge about Jesus. And if you just think that this is just sort of like a, a simplistic explanation, let me just tell you that there are tens of thousands of similar cases that have happened in just the last decade all over the world I've just completed a book. I've uh, been reading about this recently, and um, that um, has reminded me of that. I met people when I lived in the Middle East who were in this category. I just communicated just a, uh, seven or 10 days ago, somewhere in that range, with an old friend of mine who was living in one of the most unreached cities in the entire world. It was actually categorized as the number one most unreached city in the whole world when he was living there, searching for Jesus, no Christians in this city, no way of getting in contact with the gospel. And he goes, searches, eventually, uh, you know, he looks at Eastern religions. He tries all sorts of different things. He heads up into um, a major city. He finally gets a copy of, the, of um, the Bible in such an old translation that was very hard to read, much harder to read than the King James Bible would be for us today. He reads it cover to cover, stands on his balcony at Christmas time, and prays, never having met a Christian, I want to be baptized as a follower of Jesus in one year's time. And I met him in May. I was the first Christian he ever met. And you know what? This is true, true story. And, um, and he was already, as far as I could tell, he was a believer just from having read the Bible. God made a way for him actually to come to faith in Jesus Christ, and he's continuing to follow Christ since then. I just had to fill him in on a few things there. So the point of this is just to try to give a little bit of explanation if there's something that is keeping you from receiving and knowing the love of God for you, because some people are in this place. But this is all hypothetical, you realize. Even if this is the first time you've ever been in a church, today you're hearing about the good news of God loving you so much that he made a way for you to actually be in a right relationship with him, to go and spend eternity in a wonderful place that he is creating for those who know him, for those who have believed in him, for those who have um, put their faith in Jesus Christ. And it shouldn't be getting in the way of that for any of us. All right, so that's one reason. Where am I? All right, here's another reason. Here's another reason that sometimes we just have trouble receiving um, the love of God for us, and this is a bit of a lane change. One of the reasons is simply because some of us don't we, don't, we don't actually know him. 
Don't tune me out at this moment. This is the point where a lot of times people tune, tune us out, especially people who've been in the church for a long time. I was in a message by a colleague of mine one time when he said this, and I actually watched as students just sort of tuned him out. So don't do this right now. This is just a, a good moment to just reflect. Most people in this room, I know, you know Jesus, you love Jesus. And I'm so glad to be your brother in Christ. But there are some of you in here who know that you don't know him. You just have never given yourself over to Christ in faith. And you know what? You're going to have trouble actually experiencing the love of God, say in a time of worship, a time of prayer, as you go through your day, the ministry, ministry of the Holy Spirit to you, simply because you don't know him and you know that. And then there are some others in here who are kind of holding on to this, like, I prayed a prayer one time. I made a decision one time. My parents told me I was a Christian. I grew up in this sort of setting right here, and I'm a Christian. I must be a Christian, right? Because that's the way it works. And we're holding on to this when, in fact, we do not know him. And if you don't know him, you don't have the love of God poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit, as Romans 5 would say, that is, you don't have the Holy Spirit who is there Helping, um, helping you to receive the love of God for you, or as Romans 8 talks about, then that, of course, will be a reason why you have a hard time receiving the love of God. So how do you know whether you know him? Again, enormous question I've just opened there. But this passage does give us one thing, one pointer for how you can know him. The last verses that we looked at about uh, light coming into the world, people loving the darkness rather than the light, that's verse 19. And, um, and people who don't know him in verse 20, it says that they don't like the light because what does the light do? It exposes their motives. So the picture here is kind of like somebody who doesn't live in the light, who does everything in, in you know, the dark. And, um, and when you shine light upon somebody's motives and you expose those motives, they don't like that. They shrink away from that, right? So when God actually exposes the inner things of our hearts, the, the secret sins, the things that we don't want anyone to know about, how do you respond to that? Um, so if you know him, you know what you do with that. You're like, I know God's love for me. I know that Jesus died in my place. I receive what God is going to do in this thing, we expose them to God because we know that that's the only way of going from here to there. But if you don't know him, what you do is you shrink away from that and you do that over and over again. And this shows that you probably don't know him. So if you're actually trying to do some sort of evaluation of this, this is not a complete answer, but it is one of the things to get you started on this. And if you think that there's any reason, there's any sense that you actually, in fact, do not know Christ, please seek out someone. There are so many people in this church who can help you. You can even just write on, on your connection card, um, I need to talk to someone about, about, um, about whatever you want to talk about. You can use the connection cards and someone will follow up with you on that. So... Um, that's one way that you can actually, um, you can work with that. I was actually in a, a conversation with one of my colleagues not too long ago, and he was telling about three people that he was in a conversation with, a single conversation he was having with. I think the guys were kind of in their mid, possibly upper 20s. They had all three gone to Christian colleges. I think two of them, perhaps to the Christian college I teach at, Biola, and one of them to Master's. Um, at all of these schools require that you sign some sort of... Um, some sort of agreement up front that you, in fact, are a Christian. 
But all three of them, after the fact, were looking back and saying, you know, I don't think I actually came to faith until I was in college. So there are people in this category, and in this room, there are a lot of people with this same testimony. You know, they would say, I had years, I thought I, I, thought I knew Christ, but I actually came into true faith in Christ. It started to show in, um, you know, an outwork of, of love in my life um, at this particular point in my life. Anyway, I just want to, I want to put that on the table for you. I don't, know, I don't know where you are on this today, but perhaps God has this message for you today. This is John 3.16. After all, God loved the world in this way that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. So this is something to consider. Perhaps one of the reasons that you're struggling to receive the love of God is because you don't, in fact, know him. Here's another reason. Now, I'm moving more toward those who really do, in fact, know Christ. I want to talk to you about this. It is a very different direction. But one of the reasons why we sometimes have, we struggle to just really live into the love that God has for us is um, because we've had struggles with our earthly fathers, our earthly mothers, and somehow we are superimposing what we see as their relationship upon um, our view of God. Sometimes they're, they've been just absent. You know, sometimes they're emotionally distant, or much worse if they're angry all the time, or even worse if they're abusive. And that could be hard. You know, I was so fortunate. You saw it here. I grew up with a mom and a dad who loved me, and I'm so grateful for that. But I've known people, I'm thinking of, um, um, of a young man that I spent a lot of time with when I was living in New York, who grew up with an abusive alcoholic father, and he struggled so much in his relationship with the Lord until he really began to sink his roots deep into what the Bible taught about the character of God and the love of God for him as a father. And as he began to know this more and more, his Christian life flourished. And I continue, I'm in contact with him still um, regularly. He's actually um, a long-term missionary in in Southern Africa right now. And um, so um, God can do this in our hearts. He can move us. But let me just encourage you, if for some reason this is, this is a reality for you, this is probably something you need to seek out, a more mature Christian, uh, uh, maybe a counselor, somebody to just talk this through with you. They can be very helpful in helping you to understand maybe the relationship of why you might be superimposing a, a false picture upon God. And then, if that's true, then maybe not being able to receive the love that God has for you in the way that he intended for you. And finally, one other reason, and this is the kind of a real basic one, but uh, will address a lot of people in the room. One of the reasons why we have trouble receiving and living into walking in the love that God has for us is because we're distracted by so many other things. So Jesus tells this little uh, called parable there, but it's more almost like an allegory because the different things in it represent different peoples in it. So it's soils, four different kinds of soils that seed falls upon. And in this little parable, this is called a parable for a minute, um, is uh, the third soil. Here's what he says about it. He says, the seed which fell among the thorns as the thorny soil, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. 
What are they choked with? Worries and riches and pleasures of this life. One of the reasons so many of us just don't experientially know the love of God is because we're just distracted by other things. Some of us play video games late into the night. Some of us are constantly like just looking at our phone. I think I heard it the other day. I didn't get a chance to check this. I I think I heard this um, 200 times. I think that's the average amount of time that people pick up their phone during the day, something like that. Binge watching television um, programs just to kind of maybe dull the pain of their lives. Lying around uh, in a whole different direction, lying around at night just worrying about your finances. And that can keep you, of course, from receiving the love that God wants you to live into. Some people just shop and shop and shop some more. Or we're just generally too busy with work or hobbies or whatever else it is. And we just don't have the time. I know the ladies are having a soul care day coming up, but not just then. Other times like that, living within a soul care day, every day can become a soul care day if you get the practice in it. And then you live with open posture before God. You're attentive, you're listening, you're walking in the love of God for you, not distracted by all these little things. We live in a tough generation for this. Maybe this is an issue for you too. My greatest desire today was that you would just remember that God lavishly loved you so much that he gave Jesus to die in your place. What an amazing thing that is. How often do we get to revel in that? Not just talk about it as a doctrinal truth that we believe, that we check off, that we agree with, but something that we live into. As we think about the God who loved us in this way so lavishly by giving his own son as a sacrifice for our sins. I'd like you to take a moment and just think about, is there something that is in the way of that? Is there something that is keeping you, hindering you from that? Just open yourself up to the Lord a little bit. And this is just the beginning of a, of a bit where we're going to be opening up to the Lord We're going to be spending time in music, uh, some worship. We're going to be spending time in communion together, possibly even some prayer in just a minute. So just as you begin to prepare for that, ask the Lord, Lord, what is in the way? Maybe it's something different than I've even said today, even talked about. Something that's in the way of just receiving the love that God so much wants to have and communicate to us. As Robert said, God is more passionate about that than even you are.